We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words, his word was with authority. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for each uh, time we hear it. Thank you for the Bibles that you have given to us so freely. Lord, that we can read it in languages that we understand and can study it. And Father, we ask that even as we, we open your word this morning, that you would send forth your spirit, Lord, and that he would be empowered to bless the word. Lord, may it not return void, but may it accomplish what you will, and may you will it to accomplish much. Father, in all of our lives, we have such need of you. And Father, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been working our way through the book of Luke, and many of you might remember, Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, and he is presenting Jesus uh, as the perfect man. Now, that would have appealed to the Greeks. They liked the idea of a perfect man, perfect in body, soul, and spirit. And Luke is not doing anything like that. The perfect man, according to Luke, is the one that is in the image of God. He does the works of God. He speaks the words of God. And he stands as the created man was meant to be as a representative of Almighty God, made in the image of God. And this is what Jesus Christ does. And so we see in Luke's account that as he works through this, he hasn't even brought us to a miracle yet. And I'm not sure if I can, depends how you define a miracle, I guess. But, you know, we've read in Matthew that he's healed the the sick and he's cast out demons. We've we've seen other things in John that he, he cleared the temple, the courtyard of the temple. Uh, and Luke skips over all of this. And this, isn't, this is not just accidental. This is part of Luke's design. He wants us to see how important Christ's words were, that he came to give the message of God. And I thought how perfect it was this morning that as we are going to talk about the message of God, we would sing the song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that it was ever heard. And each one of these verses tell us a portion of that story, and they should move us. You know, this is not an abstract story. This is the story that happened in my life, and hopefully in your life as well, as God did a work of grace and gave life to a heart that was dead, freed it, from the sin and the constraints of this world. And you rose, you went forth, and you followed him. Now, we have been going through chapter 4 in Luke, and we saw that uh, Christ was led into the desert. Luke starts with this temptation. And again, he started with it, I believe, because he wanted us to see that Christ was perfect. As the perfect man, he resisted Satan, and he did it perfectly. And how did he resist Satan? He did it with the word. 
And he did it with the word because Satan usually comes tempting us with words, with deceit. Oh, you can get away with that. Does God's not really going to care if you do that? You know, he came to Eve and he said, did God really say? And God knows that the day you eat of that tree, you will be like him. You know, you, you don't have to believe everything he says. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he comes to Christ the same way. Three times he comes with words telling him, well, you're hungry. Since you're the son of God, you command this stone and it'll become bread and you can eat. And you look at that and you actually ask yourself, where is the sin in that? It's not telling a lie. It's not adultery. It's not fornication. It's not, uh, you know, keeping the Lord first and foremost. It's simply he's hungry. Let him eat. But the sin of it was this, God was the one who was to provide for him. And if he took his own power to provide for himself, it was a distrust of his father's leading, a distrust of where the father had said, this is, I'm going to take care of you. And so he replies with scripture. And in each case, he's able to give the reason why he, he cannot do what Satan tells him to do, because there is scripture to back him up. So the importance of that whole section was that Scripture is our, is our weapon against Satan. It gives us the wisdom we need. It gives us faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we stand knowing God has said this, I will hold to it. Then we see him going into the temple, or the synagogue, I'm sorry, at Nazareth, his hometown, and he preaches a message. And the message is even... It's come straight from the scriptures, Isaiah 61. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And he goes on through the rest of this, defining what the gospel is, how it frees the oppressed from their sins and it breaks the chains of slavery, how it heals the brokenhearted, how it gives recovery of sight to the blind and how it sets at liberty those that have been captivated by Satan. And this has got to be the greatest message that's ever given. An eternal conflict where we are pawns. And we have already, when we are born, we are born with sin in our heart. We are born sinners. And we sin by will and by choice in our life. And God has come to set us free. An incredible message. And then at the end, he declares this beautiful verse 19 and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And if I have that right, this is uh, an oblique reference to the year of Jubilee, a a once-in-a-lifetime event that would happen to most people when all debts are wiped out and everybody is returned to their inheritance. And it it is a picture of Christ coming and bearing our sin and offering a free forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. And as he's explaining this, he knows their hearts. And as he's starting to tell them the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing and they're marveling at him, he says, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Because they want him to do the miracles that he's done in other places in their midst. Instead of listening to the message, 
they have been distracted by the miracles. And those miracles have become something that are so big for them that they want to see. We, we need to experience this. We just need to see it. You do it here too. And Christ has one of the hardest statements, in, at least up until this point, of his ministry. And he says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And basically, he goes on to tell them that because they're not listening to the message he preached, he's going to leave them. He's turning from them, and he's going to go on. And they will remain where they are in their sin because they're rejecting the message of God. Now, that's our, our work up to where we're coming. And you see, again, Luke just doesn't stop there. He comes into this next section, and we're going to be looking at this as a whole over the next two weeks, and I just want to introduce you to two concepts that Luke is going to be um, pointing out here again and again. And the first one is that Christ came teaching. He came teaching. This is what we've been talking about. And the second one is, is that he came with authority. He came with authority. And you're going to see that word used two or three different times throughout, and you're going to see examples of this authority as we go throughout the rest. And what we don't want to do is what the Jews just did, what the people in the synagogue just did. We don't want to get so caught up in the miracles, we forget he came with a message. Because he came, and this section starts with this little couple of verses. He went down to Capernaum to the city of Galilee and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And we're going to see, even if you go to the end of this in Luke uh, 4.42, the last uh, two verses, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So right at the beginning and right at the end, Luke gives us these bookmarks. You know, as you're starting out, remember, this is what he came to do. And as you're finishing up, even though they're saying, don't leave us, he says, I must go. Why? Because I've been sent to teach. I've been sent to preach. I've been sent to give the gospel, to tell the truth of God's word. That's important. Because it's all too easy for us to get sidetracked on what's going on and to miss the message of what he's teaching. Listen from John uh, 10, 24 through 26. And this is just, how easy it is to miss. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubts? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You know, here they were trying to look like the right people. Let me read you another one. John 14, 10. You know, they were trying to look like the right people, saying, we just want to know. Just tell us plainly. And how did that work for them? 
I told you, but you do not believe. John 14, another time. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. In other words, these works are a testimony that Jesus has come from the Father and the words that he speaks are the Father's words and they come with his authority. Notice again from Hebrews 2, 3 and 4, how that the miracles that were done are there for the purpose of pointing us to the message that Christ gave. They are not there for us to be lost in the miracles on. The miracles are incredible. They show his power but we don't want to miss the message that he came to proclaim. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Okay, this salvation is a message of God spoken by God and then was confirmed to us by those who heard him God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. All of the miracles, the gifts, the signs, the wonders, the gifts of the Holy, all of that is what? It's a sign to point us back to the words which were spoken with the message of salvation. That's what it was meant to do. And the Jews would see it, and I mean, you and I, we can understand it in a human sense. We have people we love, and they have needs, broken bones, blind eyes, deaf, demon-possessed, right? We can understand how the word goes out and everyone starts running. I have one chance. Let me bring my son, my daughter, my loved one in to meet the Lord. But we have to be careful that as we come to God, We are listening to his words and what he is teaching and letting that guide us because wanting the miracles does not save us. Even the ones that had the miracles done on them, how many of them, you remember the story of the 10 lepers that come to Christ. One of the only times he does a a group healing. They say, Lord, if you want to, you can heal us. And he says, Go your way. Give the offering to the priests. And as they went, they realized they were healed. And one turns back. One out of ten understands that there was something else there. This man who spoke, this man who did the miracle, it was bigger than leprosy. It was bigger than my life. He spoke with the power of God. He spoke with authority. And so he comes back and bows in front of the Lord. And it says he was made well. He came to know the Lord, I believe. He understood there was someone in front of him whose authority was over everything. You know, the creator who could speak to sickness and cast it out. This leprosy, this terrible disease. And at his word, it vanishes. It's gone. 
You know, you, you think about this as the picture of sin, and then even the song we sang this morning, his eye diffused a quickening ray. And what? I woke. The dungeon flamed in light. You know, he, you look around, and you understand where you are. And my chains fell off. There's a new desire in your heart. And I went forth. The door is no longer locked. The captivity has found freedom. And I went forth to follow thee. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Christ came to preach. And he came, and the Jews are amazed because he came teaching them with authority. With authority. Um, Now this... Again, this should not surprise us. But I think we will find that the closer you get in a church, I I know this is myself as a pastor, so let me use myself. The closer I get to God's word, the more authority I have. Would you agree with me? I can tell you truth and error based on this word. When God's word says, this is sin, I can stand up and proclaim it from the pulpit, this is sin. Why? Because I'm your judge? No. But because God has said it. And I can stand on the truth of his word. In fact, this is what the church is to do. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church or the assembly of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, what is the purpose of the church? It's to be a a pillar, a support, and a ground, a foundation for the truth. We are to hold up the truth as God has proclaimed it through the word. That is the purpose of the church. Nothing else. Nothing else. That is the purpose of the church. Yes, we continue with fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. But all of it is brought under this authority of standing for the truth of God's word. You can have fellowship at a club, at the golf club. You can break bread with your friends on a Friday night. It's not the same, is it? It's because this is where God has called us to stand for truth. Now, the second part of what Christ, Luke points out is that Christ came with authority. And I, I point that out not just because of his preaching with authority and then this verse, But the rest of what he shows us from uh, verse 33 on, he is going to give us a list. I think there's four different things that he does. There is the the demon-possessed man. There is Peter's mother-in-law. There were many that were sick and had diseases. And then there were the demons also coming out of them. So somewhat four categories there two that are individually specific, two that are generic in general. But he's going to show us the authority of Christ. And again, the reason that he shows us the authority is what? Remember what Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 said? It's so that we would listen to the words that he said. 
It is those words which bring life and bring truth. Um, John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That, that whole verse, I have to go back and, and just look at it. These were to the ones who said they believed. They said, oh, we believe you're the Messiah. But by the end of John 8, they're leaving him. They're departing because they have been called out for their sin. And they don't like it. He tells them that they're of their father, the devil. And that they're doing the desires of their father, the devil. And they don't like it. And this is why this word is so important. If you abide in my word, if you're willing to continue to honor me, to give me that authority so that I can, you know, that I can lead as God. I mean, what, what is God? Is God just a vague spirit that's out there? It's just kind of guiding chance? That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible exists eternally. And it says in Genesis 1-1 that from the beginning, in the beginning, God created. God spoke words and it came into existence. Things happened. He caused them to. He laid down decrees of what man is to be like, what he can eat, what he can't eat, what he can do, what he can't do. What is the law? What is sin? He speaks. And we're to be in obedience to it. So he comes to his own, and what does he tell him? Stay in the miracles. Keep following after the miracles. No. What's he say? If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Continues on, another one that he prays in John 17, 15 through 20, in his high priestly prayer. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How do we fight Satan? Through the word of God. What keeps us from sin? The word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What teaches us about God? The word of God. What gives us a fear of the Lord? The word of God. What breaks our heart? The word of God. Is not God's word like a hammer? What feeds us as we're broken and heals us? The word of God. It's like wheat. You know, the fire comes, it burns up the chaff, but it doesn't touch the wheat. God says not one of them will fall to the ground. We need to remember as we go into this next couple, this next week, and we're going to run through these examples next week, probably pretty quickly for me. <laughs> but we're going to do that because we don't want to miss the teaching. 
He's going to show his authority. And his first one is over a demon-possessed man. And God's authority as he speaks the word and he acts is to show us that his authority is there even over our lives. When he says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This is what you should be doing. What do we do? Do we yield to that? Do we obey? Or do we question the word of God? What do we do when it hurts? I know there's times it hurts me, it convicts me, same as it should you. You're reading through the word and all of a sudden there's something there and it's like, oof. And what do you do? Do you stop before the Lord and you say, God, I'm sorry. Make it right. Whatever it is, I am so sorry, Lord. Are we willing to come to that word and let it have its perfect work in us? This passage in Amos 3 that I read earlier in the service, I mean, I, I, reading it, I know it was weird to read a section of judgment. But can you just understand the authority of that word that has come to Amos? He says, like a lion roaring in the night, who cannot fear? I don't know if you've ever walked in the woods at night when there are large animals around. I have. I can remember lions walking around us at night while we slept. I can remember once being in a room with lions probably within four to five meters of us, yards of us. And you could hear them walking. Uh, 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 uh. The males tend to grunt when they're feeling frisky. And he walked right behind our window. And I mean, yes, we had a one, wall, one foot thick wall of cement and we had a bar on the window and it was less than a foot wide and there was no way that lion was getting in there. The door was solid steel and every hair in my body stood straight up. Because you knew there was an animal out there that preyed on other animals. God's word is like that. It comes with an authority that is all his. And when he has spoken, who can but prophesy? Who can but say, thus saith the Lord? Because God has spoken. And it comes with its own authority. I've told you several times, but the Puritans... I'm not sure if it was all pulpits or one in particular, but it's a well-known incident that there was at least a, a couple of pulpits that had an eagle on the front of the pulpit. And the eagle was to remind you that when you heard the word of God, it came with the authority of the king of kings and lord of lords. But the eagle had a head of a parrot with its beak. And the authority only applied as long as we were parroting the word of God. As soon as we left the word of God, we left that authority. And that's the truth. When we stand up and we, we understand the word of God, I can say, thus saith the Lord, and I can stand on it with confidence. But as soon as you start to leave the word of God, you look at the Jews, current day, Orthodox, and many of them are, have studied the rabbis. 
And they'll talk about something and say, well, this rabbi said such and such, and he's got such and such a degree and has so many followers. And another one will say, but this rabbi says such and such, and he's got this degree, and he came from that college, and he has this number of followers. I've seen Christians do the same thing. And it's because they don't understand the authority only comes from the word of God. So when Christ stood up and he spoke, there was no disputing. He brought the very words of God and message of God to the people. And he spoke truth. And it was hard to hear. And he told them, if you will abide in this truth, if you will continue in my words, then you will know the truth. Why? Because there's, there's a whole doctrine that's out there on who God is. You know, in Kenya, it was easy to see. We went to a, uh, you know, a tribal people and they talked about God, Nkai, and it had the N start for it, which was a female pronoun or possessive, whatever you would call it. I don't know the right word. And yet they understood God was more male than female, but the word had a female part to it. And so there was a lot of confusion right from the very word that they used for God as to who God was. And their idea of God was that he was way out there. He had set things up kind of deist, and he had you know, wound it up, and now it was just kind of playing out. That he sometimes forgot about them, and droughts came. And it was just the opposite of the truth, isn't it? That God never forgot about him. That God is watching, and often when the droughts come, the persecutions, the troubles come because of what they were doing. The sin that was in their lives. And when you came to bring the message of the gospel, you couldn't just talk about sin because they had no concept of what sin was. They had no concept of who God was. But after you spent a couple of years teaching about God, about his authority, his creative power, that we are in his hands, that he is God, and we are man. And after we went through Exodus and the Ten Commandments, and you started to understand when God says, I am the Lord, thou shalt have no other gods in front of me, there should be nothing in the visual plane that equates to God. Then you look at America, oh, God first, country second, or family second, country third, ourselves last. We have this whole lineup, and it, you know, we have God first, and then, but we have all these others. And you, you, you laugh at it, but then you watch where our choices go on a Sunday morning. You watch where our choices go, and, you know, do we get up in the morning? Do we read the Bible? Do we study God's word? You watch where our choices go. It's not God only, is it? Not at all. His word comes with a truth. I just want to close, and I want you to think about these. John 14, 6, another passage where Jesus is talking. And this is an incredible claim. I mean, he's, he's giving it to his disciples, but it's written down for all time and eternity for you and I. And remember, it's easier, Christ said it's easier for a jot or a tittle 
to pass, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. In other words, when he writes it down, it has more truth and endurance and power than the very land we live on, the heavens and the earth. We talk about how big the sun is and how big the the solar system is and how big some of the stars out there that would dwarf our sun. And all of those are dwarfed by the word of God because God has promised this and they exist at his pleasure. And at his pleasure, they will cease to exist. When he turns out the lights, they're out. And he says this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What kind of claim is that? I am the way. There's only one gate. It's a narrow gate. The way is hard. Few there be that find it. Matthew 7, 13. But it is an incredible claim because it's also the truth. Only as there was... A payment offered for sin. Could a, could a sinful people come before a holy God? How else can we stand before a holy God? Do you think he winks at sin? The God who cast Satan out of heaven for pride? Do you think he winks at that? He's just. He's a just judge. And the only way there can be salvation is if there is a payment that is offered. And that payment was through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the door. Second thing he says, he says, I I am the way, the truth. You know, in our day and age, we ask, how can a man know what is true? Is there anyone who can actually know true truth? Is there such a thing as true truth? All truth is personal. You know, it's how you view it. And against that comes the one who created the heavens and the earth. And he says, no, I am the truth. Every word that he spoke will come to pass. Every jot, every tittle, nothing will fall. Heaven and earth may fall, but his word will not fall. Because God is superimposing it. God has held it up. So when he says that, that's not some claim to fame. That's the rock-solid truth. I am the way, the truth. And he adds one more to that claim, the life. The life. We do everything in our power to extend our life by another day, another year. To make our life better. And yet at the best we can do, we will still die. And unless we have spiritual life, we will be cast into hell for all eternity. But there is one who has come to give us the way to tell us the truth and to give us life if we're willing to follow and believe. And he's bore evidence of that. Not just by raising the dead, Lazarus and some of the others, Not just by that, 
but by laying his own life down, partaking of death, and then taking it back and coming up out of the grave forever. You know, how do you know somebody is stronger than somebody else? When two nations are going to war, how do you know which one is stronger? Not until the war is done, right? Not until they've gone to battle and you see one nation totally wipe the other one off the board and you go, well, we know this nation was stronger. They won. That's what we see with Christ on the cross. He came to make war on sin and on Satan's kingdom and on death. He made war on sin by living a perfect life. And then he took our sin on him and he offered himself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice that would die. And he proved his power by coming back out of that grave and raising to life. And so we have, as Peter will say, we have a living hope, a living hope. It's not based on just somebody's words, but it's based on someone who went to war and won with death. You know, I was thinking of this this morning as I was prepping, and I just happened to remember. Any of you remember the Greek gods, and particularly Hercules? Hercules supposedly went out and fought death. And death and him fought, and at the end, death was casting him down. And as Hercules was going down, he got his knees down, and he anchored himself, and he stopped. And so he became a god because he had conquered death. But he had conquered death while death conquered him. You know? Christ came and conquered death completely. He took away the power of death. This is no Greek God. This is the God of the universe. And he says that one day he will come back to destroy death completely. Oh, for that day. I want to just challenge you today as we close. Where are you with the word of God? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to let it speak to you? Are you ready to bow to it? Not just when it encourages you and it tells you of the blessings and the love of God, when it comes to you and tells you about your sin, when it convicts you of what you're doing, will you yield to this God? He is going to go ahead and show us, and we'll look at it next week, his power over Satan and over the demons and over the effects of sin in sickness and in disease. And each one is there only to bear witness to this fact. He is God. He is God, and we must listen to what he said. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we just want to say thank you for your word. Father, what a blessing it is to open it up and to be able to read and to see the different things that you have done. And Lord, we ask that as we listen to your word, that it would not be just like words ringing in our ears that go in one ear and go out the other. But Lord, that we would take them into our heart. And Father, that we would understand that there is a call here. If you will abide in my words, then you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Father, may we commit ourselves to studying and hearing the word of God and seeking for you with all of our heart. 
until we find you. Lord, I ask for your blessing to be on each one who hears these words. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life a ransom for many. We ask this in his name. Amen.